thanks to our title sponsor, National University. National University is committed to supporting veterans, active duty personnel, and military families through flexible online courses and master's and doctoral programs in high-demand fields, providing excellent career advancement opportunity. National University is a yellow ribbon school that proudly accepts the post-9-11 GI Bill and goes the extra mile by offering additional assistance to cover expenses that may not be covered by the GI Bill. To learn more, visit nu.edu forward slash veteran. Hey everyone, Vincent Aiello back again from the Fighter Pilot Podcast to talk to you about another great military aviation book. Here today is Buck Windham, author of Hogs in the Sand. How are you doing, Buck? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Jello? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks very much. And uh, yeah, unfortunately, this is one of those books I haven't read, but I'm looking forward to learning about it with you. And then we'll talk about where folks can find it and maybe we'll even offer one up. But anyway, let's start with you real quick. Uh, who's Buck Wyndham? I am uh, 55 years old, flew A-10s back in the uh, good old days, back when they were green uh, in the Air Force, of course. Uh, flew uh, in the first desert storm, the first time the A-10 went to war. Was a T-38 instructor pilot after that. Got to experience a little bit of the Navy after that for a brief time, and then went back to the T-38 and flew that for the rest of my career. And now I'm a airline captain with a major airline, and I still fly uh, jets and pull Gs on the side. I'm very fortunate. Oh, wow. I would say so. And somewhere along the way, you wrote the book Hogs in the Sand. I did. I kept a journal uh, when I went to the desert in 1991, thinking, yeah, this would be good to give to my family and friends, maybe, maybe it'd be good for me to remind myself of, of what happened. I sat on it for a number of years. And then I looked at it and said, you know, this might make a good book, but nobody wants to read a journal, a raw journal that somebody kept, especially not a pilot's journal. So I spent the last three years really turning it into a book, something that you'd actually want to read, something that has a, a story arc and a beginning, a middle and an end and some drama and even some romance. So, uh, yeah, cranked it out in just in time for the 30th anniversary of the Gulf War. Okay. Well, that is what I want to ask you about, because while I haven't read it and I hope to have an opportunity, I did go to hogsinthesand.com and looked at the description. And one of the first things I read was this was the first time the A-10 was in battle. But as I remember from our fighter pilot podcast episode on the A-10, already by then they were looking to get rid of those things. It's been a problem with the A-10 over the years. For, for 30 years, it's been a perennial issue where politicians and, and even generals want to get rid of it. And we had that problem even back in the 90s. They were talking about, well, we really don't need any more pieces broken out all over the um, all over Europe and NATO and everything. And the wall came down. And so we don't need you guys anymore. And then all of a sudden, Desert Storm broke out and we were needed. And boy, were we used. And we redeemed ourselves for a period of time. And then after a few years, everything changed again. And they said, well, we really don't need you guys. And there was talk about retiring them. And then some politicians and guys got involved, brought it back. And this has been going on back and forth like this ever since to this present day. We still have a lot of people saying, oh, we don't need that. We need you know, an F-35 or whatever the replacement is in their mind. So, so yeah, we've been fighting this battle a long time. It's amazing to me, but I did have a chance to go out to the Davis Walton refurbishment center out there. And I know they're putting wings of these uh, back together. And so I think it's going to serve for a little while longer. It sounds like to me, but anyway, let's talk about your experiences. How would you describe the role of the A-10 in Desert Storm? First of all, as you know, the A-10 was really designed to do a lot of close air support, working with the army, 
flying into uh, to a battlefield at low altitude and shooting at tanks, uh, helping out the friendlies at close range, uh, close range to the enemy, uh, and rooting around, you know, behind mountains, behind trees. Uh, all of a sudden, now here we are in the desert where there's first of all there's nothing to hide behind. Second of all, the army's not even in the battlefield yet. We, we've basically got an open battlefield where all we have to do is find military targets and destroy them. And we own the skies. Uh, on the first couple of days, it was pretty much certain that, that we were not going to get dumped by MiGs. So when you put all that together, we had a tremendous capability to do whatever we were asked. And we, we started off just plinking away at, at targets of opportunity and, and tanks and armored vehicles along the, the forward edge of the battle area. But as the war went on, they found all kinds of things to do with us. We, we started doing battlefield air interdiction, you know, going 50, 60, 70 miles deep, dropping on, on much more important targets, uh, fighting against the really well-trained guys, the Republican Guard guys. You know, we shot Maverick missiles at radar surface-to-air missile sites. We shot at trains. We helped special ops guys. We just did all kinds of missions that we really didn't have any, any uh, a whole lot of training doing. But we did them all. We just, uh, whatever they said to do, we said, sure, we'll do that. We'll go deeper. Yeah, so it was, a, it was very right. flexible, and we, we, we yeah. learned a lot very quickly. Sounds like it did it well. Sounds like it was proven to sustain battle damage, which was part of its design, as we learned from our A-10 guest on the show. And so what was your particular role in Desert Storm? Uh, well, I was a young lieutenant. I was a first lieutenant. I'd been on, on the airplane about a year and a half. I had uh, just a few hundred hours. And uh, so I was a wingman for all of my combat missions. My first few missions were in Kuwait, shooting at gun emplacements, radar vans, tanks, trucks, jeeps, personnel emplacements. Uh, we would generally go out three times a day. First flight was out of our main base. We'd fly up to a forward operating base. We'd refuel at a forward operating base, go up for a second flight, come back to the refueling base, third flight, and then go all the way back home. During the three missions, we would we would work with a forward air controller sometimes, sometimes not. We'd have a kill box assigned to us, which is a 15 by 15 mile square that we were uh, assigned that we could basically find anything in it that was military once we destroyed our primary target and we would just shoot it. Uh, wow. We generally dropped bombs first. We had generally between four and six 500 pound bombs. We had Maverick missiles, which we'd get rid of next, shooting at armored vehicles or whatever. And then we had the gun, and we could hang around for an hour with the gun and shoot at whatever was there. So it was uh, uh, generally about two and a half to three hour missions, although I did do a nine hour one and I did a seven hour one. So air refueling generally on the way up and sometimes on the way back. No kidding. That must be incredible. Yeah. Were you able to keep any sort of records that might be interesting as far as the number of missions or the pounds of ordnance that you released or number of bullets or anything? You know, th that is. A number that they kept. Uh, I did 38 missions. Uh, the bombs, I think I dropped, I want to say 115 bombs, shot uh, 33 Maverick missiles. And it was designed to fly fast and at treetop level, carrying 24 nuclear weapons. Today, it bristles with smart bombs and guided missiles. The B-1 bomber, called the bone by those who fly and maintain it, is the most heavily armed bomber ever built. Sleek and powerful, the bone remains a mainstay of American air power 50 years after its first flight. 
Hey everyone, this is Ken Katz, Call Sign Primetime, and my book, The Supersonic Bone, A Development and Operational History of the B-1 Bomber, tells the true story of this magnificent airplane. In this book, you'll read stories told to me by those who were there and see lots of great photos of the bone. Anyone with an interest in modern military aircraft will enjoy reading The Supersonic Bone, available through the usual online retailers and aviation booksellers. Pick up your copy today. Strafing, I forget how many thousands of, of rounds it was. I've got it written down somewhere, but it's, it's yeah. several thousand. That's crazy. Yeah. Now, again, from your website, you, you described it as an increasingly terrifying war. Why would you call it that? Well, because we were used in so many ways and we were, we were so capable, and, and at first there was some hesitancy among our leadership as to you know, how these A-10s going to do. There were, there were some people that thought we were all going to get shot down in the first week. As we proved ourselves, then we started being used for increasingly dangerous missions and going deeper and deeper. And that was kind of the, the, the perilous part, is that we really didn't know what we were getting into. There was an increased uh, SAM threat and AAA threat the farther north we went into bad guy land. Uh, sometimes that was, we didn't know about it in advance. We, we lost a couple planes that way, guys that sort of stumbled into an area of, of high threat. And so each day, especially into, if you recall, the war went from the middle of January to the end of February, essentially six week period of time. Uh, as we got into February and the weather started getting better uh, and we flew more missions, we started seeing a lot more AAA, a lot more SAMs. And the Iraqis were starting to figure things out. They were, they were starting to come out of their holes and shoot things at us. And that's where the peril came from is every morning waking up going, holy crap, is this the day? Is this the day that I end up in, in Baghdad in a cell? You know, um, Because it was happening all around you, right? I mean, there was definitely coalition aircraft down. There was. There, we, we lost two guys, and we lost six airplanes, six A-10s during the war. Uh, we had uh, several more POWs, but, uh, but we lost two guys. In fact, one guy on the very last day of the war. So, uh, oh, that's hard. Yeah, that, that was the kind of stuff that was... Um, makes you really think every morning when you wake up. So, <laughs> um, Well, there was another line in the description for the book on the website, hogsinthesand.com, that struck my attention. It said, attempting to win over a woman. Tell us about that. Well, a year prior, uh, we had a new maintenance officer appear in our squadron, and uh, she was interesting. And I thought, hey, I'm going to the desert together. What a perfect opportunity. And uh, so I, uh, I chased her the whole time that uh, we were there. And to some extent, I, I ended up with uh, <laughs> I ended up with a good experience because the chase actually kept me out of my own head and sort of gave me something to do during a lot of times when uh, otherwise I would probably just sitting there thinking about how perilous things were and how, how I didn't know if I was going to survive. So I thank her for that. And I won't say the end of it, how it came out, but uh, it was a good chase. And I, I chronicled it a little bit in the story just because it's, it's something of interest and it keeps the story moving. So. No, it sounds like it. Okay. Well, you said keeping yourself out of your own head, and that was the last part that really stood out to me. Was uh, I think you said keep control of internal demons. So tell us about that. I, we all know, I think, anecdotally, that war can be very difficult on people. Did you have your own experiences that were pretty difficult? I didn't have it as bad as some guys. I guess my uh, 
uh, my fears manifested themselves in, in two ways. One was nightmares, and, and I guess everybody probably has those from time to time. I had them almost every night, and they were very colorful. And I got to say, they would uh, any of them would make a good uh, uh, movie script. And you'll find those in the book, too. Just briefly, I mentioned in my journal what, the crazy things I dreamed about. The other was that my, uh, my left eyelid would twitch. Pretty much for, for the whole war, I had a left eyelid twitch that uh, wouldn't go away. And as long as that was the extent of it, I was happy. I didn't, you know, some guys felt ill. Some guys had acne. Some guys had sleeplessness. I didn't have any of that. I slept like a baby, at least until my alarm went off at 2 a.m. And then I realized I had to go fly uh, another mission. And then I had to sit there and cheerlead myself for a little while. But uh, the demons were all all internal. They were all self-induced. And I had to handle them all myself. So uh, that's just part of flying a plane in combat. Oh, well, I didn't have the experiences you had, so I'm going to say I can imagine, not I understand. All right, so it's called Hogs in the Sand. It's available on hogsinthesand.com, and let me guess, Amazon and everywhere else. Everywhere you get books, you can even get it on the website itself, and it's available hardback, paperback, and Kindle right now. Okay, but I bet there's not too many places short of knocking on your door where you can get an autographed copy of Hogs in the Sand. So how about this, Buck? What if we, the Fighter Pilot Podcast, run a giveaway, as we sometimes do on this show, to help you promote your book? And what do you say? We pick two winners, and I'll provide you the names and addresses, and you can send them an autographed copy. Absolutely. Got one right here. I got two of them. I'll sign them, personalize them to you, and get them sent out. So, uh, yeah, thanks, Vince. That's great. Look forward to... uh, to giving these two away. Fantastic. So if you're watching this and you're trying to figure out how to enter into that, go over to the fighter pilot podcast, Facebook page, and you should see details there, or we'll leave probably a link in the notes for YouTube. And you can always check out other, other social media. And uh, so I don't know exactly when we'll air this buck, but once people see it, you'll know that the promotion is running and it'll go for a few days. So you want to sign up and then uh, we'll announce the winners and, We'll take it from there. So, Buck, this is really interesting. My last question for you is, how did you go from A-10 attack pilot to author? Was, was that a difficult transition for you, or did you find the experience pretty enjoyable? It was very enjoyable. I, I've always written. I made a mistake early on in my Air Force career of letting it slip to my commanders that I could write, and that led to several assignments that I probably wasn't uh, totally into. But in any case, uh, yeah, I enjoy writing. Always have done it. This was a great opportunity to get this story out there to people and, and really put them in the cockpit of the A-10, at least the A-10 as it existed 30 years ago. So I enjoyed it a lot and uh, going to be uh, working on another one. So <laughs> yeah. that was going to be my next question. All right. So we'll have to circle back around with you. You bet. You bet. All right. Once again, our guest is Buck Wyndham. His book is Hogs in the Sand. You can go to hogsinthesand.com or check out Fighter Pilot Podcast on Facebook, and we'll have a link to the giveaway. Buck, great getting to know you, and uh, thanks for your service, and thanks for this great book. I look forward to it as well. Maybe I'll grab a copy. I really appreciate it. I hope you enjoy it. So thanks for having me on. Good to see you. Thanks to our title sponsor, National University. National University is committed to supporting veterans, active duty personnel, and military families through flexible online courses and master's and doctoral programs in high-demand fields, providing excellent career advancement opportunity. National University is a yellow ribbon school that proudly accepts the post-9-11 GI Bill and goes the extra mile by offering additional assistance to cover expenses that may not be covered by the GI Bill. 
To learn more, visit nu.edu forward slash veteran.